Have you ever wondered who God is? In this message, we're going to talk about what the scriptures teach. If you want to know who God is, one thing, one person you can look at to see. Hope this message blesses you. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 18, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man. John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Would you all pray with me in a posture of thanking God for his word and asking him to move in our lives today as you listen? God, would you move in our lives as we talk about your word. Lord, would you fix our eyes on you? God, whatever we bring today, uh, doubts, questions, wrestlings, fears, anxieties, sadness, gladness, whatever we bring, Lord, we bring that to you and ask that you meet us here to speak to us. Pray that you quiet our hearts, that you still us, that you lead us into a place of just abiding in you and in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I want to start out today, today's message, by simply saying what John the Baptist later says here in the Gospel of John. Because when I, when I think about talking about Jesus, I'm going to be honest, I feel really inadequate. I feel inadequate to be able to effectively communicate to you how good and how powerful and how beautiful and majestic Jesus is. And to be honest, I can't communicate it to you enough. My hope is just to give you a little bit of a glimpse. John the Baptist, in verse 27 of chapter 1 of John, says, Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. That, honestly, I feel this deeply within me. I cannot communicate the goodness of God, the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of who Jesus is in a way that is going to be compelling enough for you. But, I believe the Holy Spirit is at work, and I believe the Lord uses our fumblings, our bumbling to speak. And so I pray that in my just looking at Jesus and pointing to him, that you'll be able to encounter him in a really 
powerful way uh, today, even as you as you listen to this. But I, but I want to just say that up, up front. My goal is, is not to point people towards me or to our church or whatever. My goal, ultimately speaking, is I want to point people towards Jesus. Really, my job is just to point and say, look, look at Jesus. I'm going to fall short. I'm not going to be as good as Jesus. I'm going to try to be with him and become like him, but I'm not going to be as good as Jesus. My goal is just to point point to Jesus. Our, our son is uh, a little over a year old, and one of the ways that he communicates is through grunting and pointing. Uh, 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 uh. I want to go there. <laughs> of course, he doesn't use those words. Uh, uh, uh. And to be honest, sometimes when I preach, that's kind of what it feels like. I'm just like trying to point you, point you towards Jesus and just say, uh, look, look, look. He's good. He's beautiful. He's powerful. And so I hope and pray today that God uses my inadequacies, that God uses uh, these words to point us towards, towards Jesus. I want to open up today by asking you a question. Do you think you're biased? Do you think you're biased? The answer to that question is you are. We all are. Not all biases are bad. Certainly there are some that are pretty terrible, but uh, I think about uh, this Thai restaurant, for example, that I like to go to uh, with people who come and visit our church. And I've gone with several people who, on a spice level of one to five, when they order food, they'll order a five and not even sweat. Meanwhile, if I order above a two, I'm going to be sweating bullets and probably not going to be able to finish the thing. Now, we might not think of that as bias, but, but my point with that is like what you have grown up consuming, uh, being around influences the way that you view the world. In addition to that, we have biases when it comes to God. The way that you grew up, what you were taught about God influences what you now think about God, the culture that you were a part of, how you saw people demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus, what you saw about the church online, in person, books, movies, TV, wherever, influences how you view God. We are all biased when it comes to how we view God. And the question is not, are we biased? It's how are we biased? And are we aware of our biases? So over the next eight weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a deep dive into the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Because here's what I know. I know you probably, just for the sheer fact that you're watching this, have heard something about Jesus. Some of you may have heard about Jesus a lot. Maybe you think you know about Jesus. You know him deeply and intimately. And I hope and pray that that's true. Others of you have heard things about Jesus, but don't know necessarily what you think. Some of us have been taught some things that are pretty wrong uh, about Jesus, or have come to believe things that are not true about the person of Jesus. And so what I want us to do over these next eight weeks is try as much as we can to look at who Jesus said he was. To look at who Jesus said he was. And to, to ask the question, is he who he said he was? And what if he was? And the opening of the Gospel of John that we just read from is incredibly rich. It's, it's very dense. And to quote one of my favorite New Testament theologians, N.T. Wright, he said that John is sometimes referred to as a, like a pool that a child can paddle in, but yet an elephant can also swim in. In other words, it's got so many layers of meaning that are incredibly rich. 
that no matter how much you study it, there you're going to continue to find more and more and more in there. And so my hope for us, if we want to track with this water imagery, is if you almost think of like a sea or a coral reef, I'm not going to be able to go in and dive down and point out all the little intricacies of the coral, but I hope to point to a couple things, some fish, maybe a couple pieces of coral that point to what I think the Gospel of John is getting at. And the reason for that is mainly twofold. One, I can't. I just, I don't know all the things. <laughs> but two, uh, more so, I, I want it to be something that is memorable. And so if you don't remember anything other than this, this is what I want you to remember. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. I know that statement sounds incredibly simplistic, but it is rich. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. In other words, I understand that there are a ton of questions that people have about Christianity, about faith, about uh, what do I do with these texts in the Bible? What do I do about ethics? What do I do about all this? That's very important. Hear me. It's, It's important. But it stems from, is Jesus who he says he is? Did he raise from the dead? And if he did, everything changes. If he didn't, honestly, You don't need to listen to this. (laughs) Don't pay attention to me. But if he did, everything changes. So a couple notes about the Gospel of John, the the prologue. We learn a couple things about God. One, uh, Jesus is both eternal and relational. We see this with the language of the Word. The Word is uh, referring to Jesus, that he already existed. And yet, although he's eternal, he meets people in a unique moment in history here, coming into flesh. We also see that Jesus is both God and yet different in person from the Father. Uh, To quote classic language around the Trinity, that the Trinity is one in essence, but three in person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. If you want to look at this from more of a literary framework, you can almost uh, divide it up into two sections, verses 1 through 13, and there's verses 14 through 18. And so you may have noticed, even as we were reading through it, it seems like there's some repeated themes. For example, in verses 1 through 13, we see John the Baptist going and talking about the light. And then in verses 14 through 18, we see John testifying to the crowds. And you're like, well, didn't we just see John do this? Yes, we did. And what I think the gospel writer is getting at is here are these different ways even of going about describing it is who Jesus is. Uh, in some ways, it's it's like what I said earlier, like I, I want to point these different metaphors, these different uh, ways of describing who Jesus is, the good news of the gospel through imagery of life and light and word, referring to Jesus as the word, uh, father, son, law, love, grace, truth, glory, tabernacle. All these things are things that point towards Jesus or our references to him. This prologue sets up the rest of the gospel. So we even see that that Jesus or the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. We see Jesus that that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14, verse 6. We see elsewhere Jesus being talked about as the light of the world. So I want to mention that to say that this prologue really helps set up the rest of the book. And so here's again, here's again my point. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Look long and hard, because what the Gospel of John opening gets at is that all of reality points towards Jesus. Even the language of the word has Hebrew scriptures undertone and has undertones of the Hebrew scriptures, but also of Greek and pagan philosophy. The logos, which is what the word is, uh, 
is something that pagan philosophers would refer to as a kind of principle of rationality lying deep within the whole cosmos and within all human beings. That's to quote from N.T. Wright. And so if you get in touch with this principle, they would say, you can find life's true meaning. And the Gospel of John is speaking into that and saying, it's not an abstract principle. You can get to know a person who provides this life, this meaning of life. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who you were created to be, look at Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to walk through a couple things in this text that point to Jesus. The first, creation points to Jesus. It opens up with what? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the word. Where's the first place in the Bible we see this phrase, in the beginning? It's in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see the parallel? In the beginning, the word. In the beginning, God. It points back to Genesis chapter 1. I was listening to a Bible Project podcast earlier uh, last week, and they pointed out uh, a resource from someone named Mary Kolo, a theologian, who pointed out the parallels between Genesis and the opening of John, in the later parts of John. She points out that the opening of Genesis and John chapter 1 shares some uh, literary structure. So if you like nerding out at all on like literary stuff, track with me. And even if not, I, I think you'll find this pretty cool. So John opens up with a poetic phrase. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. It opens up with like some poetic stuff. Genesis chapter 1 also opens with that. And then in, then they end, both of them, with a sort of poetic type of phrase, or poetic little section. And then each one has two sets of triads in there. So in Genesis, it's days 1, 2, and 3. Then days 4, 5, and 6 kind of populate what happens in days 1, 2, and 3. And we see two triads in the Gospel of John. And so this is, this is where I found this uh, explanation really, really fascinating. And Tim Mackey of the Bible Project found it persuasive as well. Uh, he said that, or Mary Clo pointed out that at the end of John chapter 1, verse 18, where it, this text talks about Jesus, or he has revealed God to us, in Greek, the sentence is actually incomplete. It's just something like, he has made known. The object of what has been made known is incomplete. And so English translations fill in the object of that. And to be fair, I tend to think not that I'm the expert on this, but I tend to think that they were right uh, in what they're saying. Based on my main point, you'd probably guess that. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. He has revealed God to us. But in Greek, it's incomplete, which is fascinating. And if you fast forward a little bit in the story to John chapter 19, and we see Jesus on the cross, he gives three last words before he bows his head and gives up his spirit in verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So why is that important in regard to Genesis? So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. That word used here uh, in the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures is this comes from the same root word that Jesus' words, it is finished, comes from. Pointing to this idea that Jesus inaugurates this new creation, this new humanity. And so where John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 kind of end in some ways with like the creation or whatever not being totally complete, Jesus' death and then resurrection inaugurate a new sort of seventh day rest. It's really 
beautiful. Uh, in the Old Testament as well, when it comes to creation, God regularly acts by means of his word. So in Genesis, how does he do things, right? He, in the beginning of it, God speaks, let there be light, and there is light. Psalm 33, 6 tells us that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, point out that God's word will be the one thing that will last, even though people and plants wither and die. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, that God's word will go out of his mouth and will bring life, hope, and healing to Israel. And my question for us, if, for us is, if God spoke in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of creation, and said, let there be light, don't you think he can speak to you through things like his words in here, through things like creation, through things like a text from a friend, don't you think God could also speak to you today in a way that brings life? If he spoke all of creation into existence, don't you think he can speak into your situation today. If God spoke and made all of creation, and if Jesus is the one who gave life to everything, don't you think he could do something for you, in you, to you? Don't you think these words could bring forth life in a powerful way where you thought these were just words? Like with creation, Jesus' words still bring Life and light. Light and life both point to Jesus. Life points to Jesus. The very fact that you are alive, breathing, it's miraculous. The fact that you're here is honestly quite incredible. I like these YouTube videos sometimes called What If. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them, but they're fascinating. What if, you know, this crazy thing happened? And one of the ones was, you know what would happen if for just five seconds the Earth stopped having oxygen? Sure, you could probably hold your breath five seconds, but air pressure-wise, it would be the equivalent of moving from like sea level to 2,000 feet below sea level, like that. In other words, your eardrums would rupture. Say you're chilling outside at the beach, you would get sunburned because of the role that oxygen plays in blocking UV rays. Concrete would start to disintegrate because of the role that oxygen plays. If you're around untreated metal, it would start to melt together. The sky itself would get dark because the way that light reflects off of oxygen would no longer be relevant for us. In addition to that, let's say somehow you survived all of those things. The Earth's crust would begin to crumble because of the role that oxygen plays. In other words, it would be really, really, really bad. And that's just one tiny thing. And, and the reality is, life pointing to Jesus is the fact that you're here, watching, listening, points to that there is something miraculous and amazing at work. Have you heard somebody say that they love you to the moon and back? It's fair to say that God loves you to the moon and back. But to be honest, I don't love that statement because I don't think it does justice to God's love. So if you were to take the DNA in just one cell and stretch it out, it'd be about two meters long. But if you took the DNA from every single cell within your body and stretched it out, it wouldn't just go to the moon and back. It would go about the diameter of the solar system two times. So yes, God loves you to the moon and back, but far more, quite literally, written into the fabric of your body, your DNA, is written the love of God, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, and that he has known you from before you were even born. 
God loves you far more than you could even fathom. And that's just to talk about your DNA. That's not to talk about all the other amazing things that make you you, both biologically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, personality-wise. It's not to talk about any of that just in your DNA. God loves you. And additionally, we talk about life pointing to Jesus by means of the new life that Christ offers, that those who follow him are given new life, that you were dead in your sins, but now raised to life in Christ Jesus. When we celebrate life change with things like baptism, when we celebrate that, we're celebrating life of what Jesus has done. Not only does life point to Jesus, but light point to Jesus. Now, I'm not just talking about lights in your house or the stars or the sun. No, I'm talking about, yes, that kind of light, but, but goodness, Light is, is goodness. In Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke, let there be light into the darkness, and then there was light. And then in the story of John, we see in a lot of ways that when the Jewish leaders are going to crucify Jesus, it's like darkness pushing against the light. But what does Jesus do? He defeats the dark. We see in John chapter 1 that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it that Jesus triumphs over the darkness, that the light wins. And so as Christians, what we're called to do, one of the things is to fight for life for all people and to fight for light, for goodness, for flourishing of humanity and society and the world that we live in. Why? Because it's, it comes from Jesus. But one of the interesting things I notice about light in reference to, to goodness that we see even in this text is that not everyone accepted him. The world didn't recognize him. And isn't that true for what is good, for what is light? Not everybody recognizes it. In the scriptures, there's this thing called the tabernacle. It becomes the temple. And you and me, we often don't use that type of language unless you grew up in a particular religious tradition. But the tabernacle is like a place where God's presence particularly dwells. And there's all these rules in the Old Testament on who can enter it and how they enter into it and all this stuff around holiness. But it's meant to be this place where God's presence particularly dwells, where sin doesn't exist. And so we see here in John chapter 1 that the Word became human and made his home amongst us. Literally, that he tabernacled amongst us. And that's so profound because it's saying that wherever Jesus went, he was the presence of God on earth as it is in heaven. So when he went places and he cast out demons, when he healed people of disease, when he forgave sins, he is bringing God's presence wherever he goes, which is beautiful. So when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with God. We see this language furthered with the presence of God language used in John chapter 1 and and references to God's glory. So you may be thinking, why does this matter for me? Well, we're told as followers of Jesus that we are the body of Christ and that our bodies are temples. In other words, we are meant to be people who represent Jesus to the world, that we in all we do, we are to point to Jesus. The church is meant to point to Jesus. Now, I will be quick to say that the church often doesn't point towards Jesus, but will often point towards themselves. We'll label it as Jesus, but really we're pointing towards the pastor, the preacher, the minister, the clergy, uh, someone with power, uh, with some type of authority. We're pointing towards success. We're saying, hey, if you follow after God, you can get da 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 Not, look at Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, as the church, we are meant to be people who don't just point inwardly, like, look at me. We're meant to point, look, look at Jesus. 
is that the scriptures as a whole point to Jesus. The Bible Project says that the Bible tells one unified story that leads to Jesus. And let me let me point out to say that here in this this text it says that the word was with God and the word was God. The Bible, though we refer to it as the word of God, the Bible is not God. Hopefully that's not a controversial thing for me to say. The Bible is not God, but the Bible does point towards the person of Jesus. We see this exemplified in verses 17 and 18, referencing the law through Moses, God's unfailing love and faithfulness. And all of scripture points toward Jesus. And a Hebrew scholar, I I enjoy learning from Dr. Michael Heiser in his book, The Unseen Realm, points out that even in Genesis 12 and 15, we see the word being equated with and identified as Yahweh. And when the New Testament has Jesus saying, that was me, he was claiming to be the word of the Old Testament, who was the visible Yahweh. And so John here is not just making a philosophical claim. He's claiming that Jesus is the God of the the scriptures. He's saying that it's Jesus is God. He's making a very strong, strong claim here. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. We get caught up in a lot of debates, debates that I find fascinating and that are very important, debates around ethics, debates on uh, scripture, how it was written, if something was literal or metaphorical, all the stuff that, I, that is relevant and good conversation to have. I, I really enjoy those and think they can be helpful. If you want to know who God is, though, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because that stuff doesn't really matter if Jesus isn't who he says he is. But if Jesus is who he says he is, everything changes. Okay, you might disagree with what the scriptures teach around sexuality or ethics or whatever. Okay, all right, I can get that. What I believe is kind of crazy in the modern sense, but look at Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, then I trust him. If he's not, throw out all my beliefs. But I believe he's who he says he is, and I believe there's evidence to prove it. So if you are a person who doesn't know what you think about God, Please hear me. Don't walk away. Don't walk away until you look at the person of Jesus. Don't walk away until you look at Jesus. Don't know where to start? Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just one of them. Even And ask God. You may even just feel like you're praying into the ether, but ask God to speak to you. Don't give up on God without looking at the person of Jesus. And I also understand that you may have heard a lot of things about Jesus. You may have seen people say they're representing Jesus and do things that were really harmful and hurtful and that may not be anything like Jesus. Don't walk away without actually looking at the person of Jesus because he is good, he is beautiful, he is kind, he is compelling. Yes, he is righteous, and yes, he has ethics and all that kind of stuff, but I find him incredibly beautiful and compelling. Don't give up on faith until you look at the person of Jesus is in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 20. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and and your faith is useless. He goes on to say that all the apostles would be lying. But in verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. If Jesus hasn't been raised, I'm wasting my life. Jesus hasn't been raised, I've wasted my education. If Jesus hasn't been raised, I've wasted my profession, and I am doing something very dumb, to be frank. If Jesus hasn't been raised, I'm leading my family in a wrong direction. But if he has been raised, everything 
everything changes. And I believe Jesus has been raised. And I believe that he did appear to the apostles. And I believe that he did appear to the 500. And I believe that he's coming back again. And if you are a person who follows Jesus, your job, like John, is to point to Jesus in all that you do. Not to point at yourself and say, look at me, look how good I am, look how cool I am, look at all this stuff I have. No, no, no. Everything that we do is meant to point to Jesus. I want to be someone who points. I think it's, in this sense, it's actually good for Christians to point their finger. <laughs> Not at like yelling at other people, but to point and say, look, look, behold the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. And look, behold the one who is coming back. Look, behold my father in heaven who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and to rise again. And look, behold, he's bestowed upon me the Holy Spirit of God who indwells within me and who makes me a child of God. Look, in all you do, point people towards Jesus, as N.T. Wright said in his commentary series, New Testament for Everyone. He said, you know, you are actually in this opening to the Gospel of John. When it talks about Jesus coming into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You can get in on this. Don't. Please don't give up on God until you look at Jesus. I know you probably have a lot of questions about faith, about the Bible, about all this stuff. Please don't give up until you look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's message. We hope and pray that it blessed you. And if you would, if you're comfortable, as long as you're not driving, hold out your hands just in a posture of receiving this word of blessing. This is the way we end most of our services at New City. And we want to just pray this prayer of blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. May you know you're loved by the triune God and by your church family, and may you operate out of that love to know Jesus and to make Jesus known in all that you do, and may in everything you do this week, may you be someone who points and say, look, look at Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that I pray, amen. May God bless you this week.